I'm Mary. I'm Nolan. I'm Lakita Ann. And I'm Austin. We are your hosts, and this is Your World, Your Money. We will be talking real money with real people in a real way. Because everyone deserves the opportunity and tools for freedom, financial or otherwise. Your World, Your Money is brought to you by Hangar Studios, a New York City-based recording studio, and Global Thinking Foundation, a global nonprofit working toward financial freedom and equality for all. Hi, and welcome back to Your World, Your Money. We are so glad to have you here with us as we continue the conversation about ethical giving and how you should think about decisions we make around giving to charity and how we can do the most good. This is your co-host, Nolan DeFrancesco, and I'm joined today with our wonderful co-host, Lakita Ann. Thanks for joining us. What's up, everybody? I am happy to be here. When we speak about giving in general, there are so many different things to think about. So I am excited that we are tackling this today and that we have an awesome guest. That's right. And so we chatted a bit of last episode, delving into the various ways in which giving can go wrong and charitable work, even with good intentions, may not always lead to the best outcome. Exactly. And I think it's important for us to tackle this because, let's face it, giving is not always easy. There are so many questions surrounding it, whether you are thinking about what you should give to, how you should give. And right now with the current situation, it's not financially easy for everyone to give. So I'm excited that we have a very special guest today to help with these questions. And he's also just working on some really cool things. So we have Luke Freeman. Luke is the executive director of Giving What We Can, a community of effective givers and an organization that really supports each other in a commitment to helping others and learning about effective giving. The organization aims to create a culture where people are inspired to give more and give more effectively and even more exciting. He is based in Sydney, one of my like must do places, like must go, right? Bucket list. So Luke, thank you for joining us. And yeah, Luke, we are so happy to have you here. And thanks for phoning in from so far away. So I'd love to kick it off. Tell us a little bit about giving what we can and your own personal story. What what led you to be involved in this kind of work? So Giving What We Can was founded by Oxford University philosopher Toby Ord and here's our friend Will McCaskill, another philosopher at Oxford. Upon discovering how much donations can actually improve the lives of others, uh, they're inspired to commit to give a large proportion of their incomes to effective charities. And then now it's 11 years later and there's a community of over 5,000 people who've donated almost $200 million and have pledged to donate almost $2 billion. My experience that kind of led me to this community was uh, as a child, I was quite shocked to learn that while I was healthy and well-fed, many children were starving and suffering from easily preventable diseases. I was privileged in so many ways, not because of anything I'd done. Uh, it was purely down to the luck of birth. This led me to become involved in anti-poverty campaigns like the 40-hour famine and make poverty history. And when I en entered the workforce on an entry-level wage in the middle of the financial crisis in 2009, I had credit card debt due to the Australian dollar crashing when I had to pay student fees in Canada. <laughs> 
and I had only one income between me and my partner, we learned to be very frugal. And as things improved and our incomes increased, we wanted to not only save, but also saw this as an opportunity to start giving more to help others. And when committing to give money to help others, you kind of realize that there, I want that to go as far as possible. I really want to, you know, have the most bang for my buck, which led me to learn more about effective giving and eventually to the giving what we can pledge, uh, where I pledge to give at least 10% of my lifetime income to organizations that will most effectively help improve the lives of others. That's great. That's awesome. One of the things that you just mentioned that I would love to get a little bit more information about is what is this idea of effective giving? Not everybody really understands what that means. Yeah, that's a really great question. So a lot of the time when people are thinking about, you know, how to think about charity, one of the primary concerns is things like, you know, how to make sure that it's not a scam or how how to make sure that it is what they think it is. And and there are organizations out there that focus on that, that problem. However, there are a lot of people that care about the effectiveness, and that is thinking of literally the effect. What is the impact that your dollar is going to have? So if you want to, say, save lives or improve lives or you know, increase education or decrease the chance of a bad event happening like a pandemic, <laughs> you, you want to think about, well, how do you actually translate the, what you give to a certain effect and how do you do that most effectively? So this field is you know, reasonably new. Uh, development economics was quite ahead of the curve in this, looking at things like disability adjusted life years or quality adjusted life years in public health interventions. But you know, this was not really looked at by everyday givers. It was only looked at by people in say public health systems or economists, but trying to bring this idea to the general public and try and give people the resources to find really high impact giving opportunities. That's really interesting. I'm, I'm curious if you could delve into about how this movement came about, because charity has been around for a long, long time. What were the thought process, what people were involved in that all of a sudden there's this really amazing movement of folks who want to be more intentional with the way that we give? Were there ways in which the old standards of measuring charity uh, not cutting it? Well, yeah, it's an interesting problem because... For the longest time, charity has often been seen through the lens of the giver. So, yeah, I, as a giver, have things that I care about. But a lot of the time, it isn't necessarily through the lens of the beneficiary. So, the lens of the beneficiary in a free market where you're buying and selling goods, you know the value that you're getting for your dollar. Like, if I could spend $10,000 on a TV or $100 on a TV and I know that they're roughly of similar quality, there's no way I would spend $10,000. But when the beneficiaries aren't the ones who are paying for something, um, it's really hard to have that market signal that you get in in the free market. And a lot of the time when people are thinking about giving is, or how do I feel about giving? Am I giving to something for reasons that it's, you know, I've had an experience with this, or I've you know, yeah, I saw it, just saw it on the television. It's very much focused on what's salient, uh, not necessarily what's going to help people the most. Um, and that was the first kind of major work done on this was uh, Peter Singer in I think the 70s or late 60s <laughs> wrote an essay uh, called Famine, Affluence and Morality. He was the first one to really cover that ground of kind of the moral obligation to find more effective ways of you know helping people. And especially his example was you know, during a crisis. It's like there are moments where it's really, really 
important that you know resources be leveraged really quickly um and a lot of the time if we're you know in rich countries we could make a huge difference to other parts of the world uh with actually a relatively small amount of resource and that actually kicked off some of the kind of early global health and poverty related thinking in this space um which was really good but this is now starting to push that even further into many other areas as well mhm interesting i i also wonder if you have decided as a person that you do want to get involved in giving, how do you go about understanding which charities are doing good work and how are they evaluated and how can you evaluate which places to give? Yeah. So there are I think over a million charities in the US. I could get that number wrong, but that's cuz in part because many uh, things registered as a charity that might be just uh, like a school or a hospital or things like that where they still are paying for services uh, but it's not set up as a uh, for-profit so the term in america is quite expansive it's smaller in other countries like australia and and the uk however regardless of how many you're thinking about there's there's this huge number so um like trying to sort through all of the possible charities and like evaluate every single one is actually a near impossible task if you're trying to do it with any any real depth um so what we generally do is we help encourage people to focus first on the cause that they're trying to fund and find some very promising causes and then start to look for the kind of most effective charities within that. So typically you identify promising causes by finding things that are really big so they affect people by a lot or they affect a lot of people. So, you know, for example, a chronic disease with you know that's very painful affects someone by a lot or something that affects a lot of people like say, you know, might be a virus or you know those are very big problems and then finding things that are tractable so tractable being can we make progress on this so some problems may be really important but there isn't really any clear ways of moving forward or the problems are actually really really difficult so a lot of the diseases we face in uh, rich countries with a very big exception of uh, mental health are ones that kind of age related or environment related that require a lot of significant changes uh, or even just the process of aging itself until we solve that uh, we're going to keep running into different cancers and and stuff like that because it's just very much part and parcel of the way human bodies are so but other things like you know a vaccine preventable disease is that's really tractable <laughs> you can actually make a lot of progress on that and then the other thing is how neglected or uncrowded a problem is so if you look at something that is getting a lot of attention it's likely also to be getting a lot of funding and you know if you're trying to find things that are neglected you, you'll find a lot of low hanging fruit so problems haven't already been solved because people haven't been thinking about it too much these are kind of three rules of thumb that help you now down the search space and you'll find some things that are you know maybe really really big but not necessarily very tractable yet or so for example if you're trying to have policies to prevent nuclear wars you don't get a chance to <laughs> have a randomized controlled trial on that and you can't know whether your policies are working is nothing has happened yet no we haven't we haven't all been wiped out but you can look at you know what are what are big problems and you know how has like policy change worked in the past what examples do we have of you know creating peace and things like that so once you've narrowed down at least the search space to you know a maybe dozen really important impactful and promising problems then you start looking at things like the organization's track record the cost effectiveness and 
literally like what do you get for your dollar <laughs> um, and some things that's a lot easier than others things like public health is a lot easier than things like existential risks and then things like organizational transparency and those types of criteria uh, that are looking at you know it, will this be a good investment if i really want to have an impact in the world yeah i like i like a lot of what you're saying i love the categories that you put together and sort of the ways that people can tackle it one of the big things that I started thinking about when you mentioned all of this is a lot of people don't have big budgets, right? So I think it's really important what you said about the impact, right? Because maybe you only have, you know, five or $10 to give. And in some places that really goes a long way. So I like what you said about that. Are there any sort of tips or, or ideas out there for people that have very small budgets? Is there anything that you could tell them about what types of things they could look for or places that could really, they could really have an impact, I would say? Yeah, so my two top recommendations uh, for people who don't have a lot of budget, and that includes the time budget of looking into things, <laughs> is to follow the advice of a charity evaluator, such as GiveWell or Animal Charity Evaluators. Giving can we also collate a lot of evaluations from evaluation partners like those two, as well as organizations like Founders Pledge and Open Philanthropy, to try and at least shorten that list and go, okay, let's find some a selection of really high impact charities and then pick from within that list. And another way to you know, help is to give as a community. So to there are a few ways of doing that. Uh, the least time intensive is to donate to a um, philanthropic fund. So something like GiveWell has a maximum impact fund. Uh, at the Center for Effective Altruism, we have effective altruism funds. So one fund per kind of broad worldview cause area so the long-term future focused fund the animal welfare fund and the global health and development fund and then the infrastructure fund which is focused on projects like trying to find new giving opportunities <laughs> so you know that can be quite helpful for donors who want to try to have their money go towards things that they wouldn't be able to find by themselves. So think of it like if you were giving investment advice um, and you would say, well, if you're an individual investor, you might be better to put your money into a mutual fund or a market index or something like that, as opposed to trying to spend the time to pick individual stocks because your chances of finding it are going to be quite low. You may have some excellent, you know, <laughs> you may find some excellent ones, but the chances of you being lucky if you don't have a lot of time to invest uh, is quite low. So tries to help solve that problem. No, that makes so much sense. And Luke, do you have thoughts on or examples that you can recall of charities doing really impactful work? Or do you think it's more helpful to talk about the groups of charities or these funds that focus on impact across a wider scale that makes it less helpful to be focusing on the individual success stories? Yeah, I think what is important to keep in mind is that we're constantly in a changing environment. So, you know, some of the examples of organizations that have done incredible work, they have kind of done themselves out of a job <laughs> or they've moved on to other problems and we don't yeah so the best ones you know for example you look at what was done between your know, organizations like the UNHCR and Johns Hopkins and stuff around say eradicating polio like it was like 
incredible work no longer needs to be done. So, you know, I would say that this is why I do also encourage people to look at things like funds or evaluators because they will stay up to date because, you know, things will change. Some problems uh, that are ongoing but have made a huge amount of progress but still have a lot to do are things like uh, malaria, which, you know, two organizations in that space that I highly recommend are the Against Malaria Foundation and Malaria Consortium. The Against Malaria Foundation have programs where they work with governments uh, in uh, countries that still have you know, endemic malaria to distribute insecticide-treated bed nets and work with the communities to make sure that they're used properly. And this essentially you know, makes a lot of progress to wiping out malaria within a region. And this is something that uh, America, I think, wiped out malaria in the 50s. Um, so there's, it's shown that it can be done and you know in the last uh, 10 years it's been huge amount of progress in the countries where these programs have been implemented but there's still a ways to go so yeah that's that's some examples that i think are very good but also they're constantly evaluating their work and so they're keeping up with that you know moving forward and going are we still having that impact you know where is the next best opportunity and you know th that type of attitude i really like another example in the global health and development space is evidence action and they have programs like deworm the world which does deworming and uh, that is you know again very impactful very widespread uh, disease that is incredibly treatable. But not only does Evidence Action run that program, but they also incubate and try out lots of other interventions and are really good at saying, now we've got the data, should we continue this or not? And they actually, you know, shut down programs if they're not really, you know, having the impact that they want. Um, so I think they, one year they were a GiveWell, you know, top recommended charity, and then the next year they were uh, taken off. Uh, this is one of their programs, uh, no lean season. So they actually said, you know, we, we have really early evidence showing that this is going to be really impactful. But then once we actually go and roll it out at a bigger scale, we don't think it's going to be more impactful than the next thing you could be spending your dollar on. So we've kind of rolled back and very few organizations have the guts to do that. And I think that is something that should be applauded. Yeah. Uh, to build on that is sometimes I, I feel like charitable projects we we really focus on the ones that seem sexy right like mm. i've heard of deworm the world's projects and the kind of success they've had mm. but i've heard also that there are there are groups that sometimes make the case that like oh children in developing countries need like uniforms to go to school and that's what's holding them back and so we can donate mm. money to give them uniforms which sounds like a very compelling story right like people need uniforms yeah. but Actually, it's a less sexy version of just a small deworming pill will have a way bigger impact on children going to school. How do you encourage folks to not get caught up on the sexy issues, but the impactful issues? Yeah, look, I, I think it comes back down to motivation is a lot of the time people might start with a motivation of impact and just need the right information. And other times, you know, given certain information, they will realize that their motivation really is more about impact. So, and then finding that information and making sure that's available is important. For example, like a couple of years ago, I, I lost my grandmother to breast cancer. And that was something, obviously, you know, I felt that very deeply. My you know, whole family felt that she was absolutely wonderful woman, quite a matriarch. But, you know, what could I do in that moment was 
mostly be there for my family and you know spend that last time with her but when i wanted to try and you know apply money to help others i was thinking well actually what what are my motivations my motivations here are to reduce the loss of a loved one it's not necessarily tied to this specific disease which is a really quite an expensive and not as tractable thing to solve i was like well if I found something was really, that was really impactful, I could affect many more lives. And that's what I actually really care about, is, <laughs> is actually find that deeper motivation. Is, is, and sometimes that's the key, is really finding the deeper motivation and going, well, actually, what is it that I care about? I care about preventing suffering, or I care about improving economic development, or you know, keep ensuring the long-term survival of you know, the planet and our species. Yeah, uh, I think there's one thing that, it's really making me think about getting involved in general. And this is what I love that we're talking about is on any level, right? Even small monetary donations. But I just want to get some ideas for the audience on what if you can't afford to give an amount of money? What are other ways that you think people can get involved? Or should they just say, eh, I don't have any money. Come back to me in five years, right? What are ways that they can get involved? Yeah, so giving what we can is part of called the broader effective altruism community, which looks at not just what do we do with that money, but uh, what do we do with the resources that we have. And so typically the three main resources we have are money, time, and other forms of uh, social and political capital. So what can we do with our money? Well, there are some really great giving opportunities. What can we do with our time? Well, the biggest chunk of time is actually what we're doing with our career. And our partner organization, 80,000 Hours, uh, does work on that. But there's also volunteering. And you know, if you were to go to our giving recommendations page and find any of those charities, uh, they're like, hey, do you have any volunteering opportunities? Sometimes it can be a bit hit and miss because managing volunteers in itself uh, can be a cost to charities. And in some cases, they will do it uh, because they hope it will retain certain donors. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen this uh, happen where, you know, that is volunteering is a cost exercise for the charity to try and have like people who will become lifelong donors. But you know, in other cases, it's incredibly valuable. Like uh, giving what we can, we have a you know, a team of volunteers who I rely on very heavily. They're incredibly helpful. Um, and, you know, that has been such a, a blessing to have. And then, yeah, social and political capital is things like uh, yeah, your advocacy, you're having those conversations. At the moment, we actually, I'm running a 30-day advocacy challenge uh, over giving season where, you know, giving people one thing a day that they can do to advocate for effective giving. And it's, you know, si simple things like it could be sharing the latest give giving recommendations it could be, you know, bringing a friend to an event or like there are all of these types of things that you can do, which can um, have an outsized impact on the world. And especially if you think about shifting uh, your behavior can really change the world is quite significantly. If you start to give, give more and give more effectively or start to you know, shift your career to something that's going to be you know, really making a difference in the world. But if one other person, because of something you've said or done, has a similar shift, you've doubled your impact. I love what you said. And also, did you hear that, folks? Social media is a great way for you to give, right? So maybe the next time they see something that you posted, you'll get like a thousand shares, right? Because <laughs> I do think it, it makes a difference, right? There are so many different ways that people can help out just by using their voice. I'm curious about one thing. What is, has been the most impactful moment for you with the organization? 
Oh, in, in what sense? <laughs> a moment where somebody sent you a letter about an impact that you've had or something that really just hit you, whether it was a story from someone or someone that you connected with or a particular project that you know that you had so much impact on and it just sort of really touched you in a big way? I, oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll pick a, a few. So one uh, that was really touching is when I saw the rate of uh, malaria change over the last 10 years since uh, you know, Giving What We Can and our partner evaluator GiveWell have had this as like a top one of the top cause areas that could be an impact could be made and we you know, now know the people at these organizations working to solve this problem and you know they credit a big chunk of that to the you know, community getting around it and saying look we can actually solve this problem and seeing that the numbers are actually just going down is it was pretty pretty meaningful the other thing was seeing major philanthropic foundations either form or uh, change their orientation based off you know, a community existing who's saying, hey, impact is really important. And then you know, people like Dustin and Carrie uh, from Open Philanthropy Project, Bill and Melinda from the Gates Foundation, like these kind of major donors going, wow, actually, if a lot of it, you know, everyday individual donors care about impact and uh, you're saying that this is really important and doing this work and finding it, let's you know, follow suit. And that you know, was really quite amazing as well. But often it's stories like hearing someone going, I've been in this you know, job that I have that I love for these reasons, um, but I've never felt like I could really have an outsized impact on the world. But now I know that over the course of my life, if I'm donating in a particular way, I can expect to save dozens of lives and know that with great certainty. And if you could run into a you know, building and pull out a baby, <laughs> a burning building <laughs> um, and save a baby like once or twice a year for the rest of your life, like that would be just this amazing uh, thing we like that you're able to do. And some people just telling me stories of how they really feel that and how meaningful that is to them and how that inspires them to go to their, you know, whatever their job is every day and just work that um, going that, you know, this day, you know, some people have even communicated, yeah, you know, that, you know, I give 20% of my income and, you know, Fridays, I think, is the day that I'm working for the world. So things like that is just like really, really touching. I like that. I like that a lot. So a few episodes this season, we've actually been talking about children. And I, I think it's a good segue into asking, do you have any suggestions on how to raise our children to be effective givers and to kind of live these values of you know, making a change in the world? Well, I'm not a parent yet, but I I definitely benefited from the way that my parents raised me in the sense that uh, I grew up with an attitude that we are the custodians of our resources and that, you know, realizing how privileged I am to have what I have and that, you know, and to hold onto it only ever so lightly and to value, you know, people and the relationships and knowledge and those types of things more than just the resources that we have and, and trying to kind of sit and gather. Uh, it was always from the attitude of, okay, well, how do these what, are, what is the use of these resources? And so that was really a very helpful thing for me. And also, you know, the idea of critical thinking and being engaged with ideas and not just taking things for granted, but going, okay, let's really actively engage. I think the excellent example is you often have kids 
have this curiosity and they'll always ask questions like why for everything <laughs> and a lot of the time you know, you might have a throwaway answer that isn't quite correct or it's kind of a bit ignored and it can be exhausting and i've you know seen that but they able to say to the kid oh what do you think and then explore that with them and then you know help them through that process of really digging deeper is something that i think is such an incredible curiosity to generate and if you have this combination of compassion and curiosity you're going to be you know having a world full of people who are trying to build a better future and trying to use the best tools that we have you know evidence and reason and science and argument and coupling that with a deep desire to see the world be better and to care for others great I, I like that a lot too. Suppose you are now, everybody has a lot more time on their hands, let's say right now. So suppose you want to learn more about charity, about effective giving. Are there any books? Are there any read, anything that people can read, anything that they can watch that they can sort of continue their education? Yeah. So I'll start with some websites. So our website, givingwhatwecan.org, um, has a lot of resources on there, including actually a really long list of uh, books, podcasts, videos, <laughs> articles. Um, oh, awesome. Uh, so down in the footy, you can find that list. Also, uh, effectivealtruism.org, which has a lot of resources just more generally looking how to improve the world most effectively with the resources that we have. If people who are interested in what they, how they can use their careers, 80,000hours.org is a, one I highly recommend. Books I would recommend Doing Good Better, written by one of our co-founders, Will McCaskill, which generally starts to unpack the ideas of approaching the world through the lens of how can I do the most good. The Precipice is a book that was recently released by another one of our co-founders, Toby Ord, that looks at not just the things that we can do to improve the world now, but what about the far future? So like, how are we setting ourselves up to have the best possible future as a species and that we will continue to exist as a species? Um, and yeah, that's a really new and interesting uh, field that's really being pushed forward by this community as well. There's uh, a lot of great videos, particularly TED Talks, around the ideas of effective altruism and how to try to do the most good. Yeah, I think that would be my top recommendations. But yeah, I have a list of recommended reading and watching on our website as well. Great. There, I like that you mentioned TED Talks also. There was a great one that Bill Gates did where he like released the, what was it, like a butterfly or mosquito or something like that. And, and then I thought that was amazing. So if you guys haven't seen the Bill Gates TED Talk, amazing, go watch it. And to kind of close us out, the last question that I have is just about 2020 in general, because I don't think that we can have this conversation about giving and not thinking about where we are, most societies right now. So how do you think things have changed with giving this year? And how can people donate to really make a difference, keeping the current times in mind? So 2020 has been quite a year, <laughs> but it's been a bit of a mixed bag. So for some people, money has been obviously really tight, but for others, you know, there's been you know, stimulus packages, people been working from home, haven't been spending as much on you know, going out or holidays. So some people have got more money and, and have fortunately been more generous uh, with that, which is really uh, good. And but other people, it's been you know, more of a struggle to give. 
Unfortunately, 2020, while it's hit the world pretty hard, it's been the first time, you know, a very long time that we've actually increased the number of people in extreme poverty, and it's particularly hit low-income countries the worst. So at a time where a lot more people are looking at the problems that are going on at home, a lot of the rest of the world has been hit really, really, really hard. Um, and yeah, that's something that I hope people are able to keep in mind. And those programs that important in, you know, any other year are even more important in years where they're harder to d deliver. So it's really hard to get resources to people. It's hard to have people in the field evaluating things, um, distributing things, you know. So a lot of the work, good work that's been done has been halted or slowed down. But for people who do have the opportunity to give, 2020 is a year where just I think you can have a huge impact if you do have those resources. But also if you're not in a position to be giving, to be thinking about what's your path to being financially stable yourself and making sure that you are taking care of yourself and your family. And then, you know, what does the future look like? And what have you learned from 2020? A lot of people are thinking about what does work look like for themselves? A lot of people thinking about their careers. A lot of people thinking about what does community and family look like? What are my values? I've got a lot of time to think. I think 2020 hopefully has been a moment of great reflection. And yeah, actually, <laughs> of all the things that you know, our community has looked at over the you know, last decade, one of the things that was actually in the existential risks category was pandemic risk. <laughs> um, going, you know, there are big problems that we are we know we're going to face as a species. So when we're out of the thick of it, what can we learn? How do we be better prepared for things that could really disrupt or, and try and prevent that type of thing from happening again? Look, there's really good work being done on that. I know a charity, uh, AllFed, that they're looking at how to protect supply chains during major disasters, such as pandemics and earthquakes and stuff like that. So, you know, how do you, how do you feed the world in you know, really terrible scenarios? Johns Hopkins uh, are doing research, you know, really important research into how do you protect from the next pandemic? What type of public health measures can you take? How do we learn? How do we research and you know, dig into the things that we've just learned? Because you want to be ready for the next thing. But yeah, I think in general, I think 2020 is the year of reflection. And I really hope that we go into 2021 with a lot of lessons and I'm excited to see what we'll learn as a species. Um, and hopefully, you know, we've come with a lot more compassion for the fellow man. So, yeah. Wow. Yes. I, I love that. Just a year of reflection. And there was definitely a mic drop moment when you said financial stability. I was like, hello. Yes. That is one big thing, right? Of how that's, that's part of the reflection. But I really love hearing pretty much everything you had to say. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I learned so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate being on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Luke. Awesome. Truly. Luke, thank you so, so much. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thanks. You too. Take care. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. Bye now. So that was amazing. I learned so much. I'm, I'm so glad we had that conversation. Wow. I definitely learned a lot and it was incredible hearing so many great insights from Luke. Yeah. Yeah. It really will, I think, change the way I think about giving and, and how I think about changing the world. Yeah. And folks, don't forget to go to the website because he did mention all of those amazing resources. So I think that would be cool to check them out. Absolutely. That's givingwhatwecan.org. And so thank you so much for joining us for this episode. This is your world, your money. 
Uh, this is our last regular episode of the season, but please do join us next week. We're going to have kind of a wrap-up episode with all of the co-hosts, and we're going to talk about some great learnings from the season and what we hope for the year to come. So we can't wait to have you with us. I'm excited for next week. Can't wait to see you all and bring 100 friends. Absolutely. Tell everyone. And if you haven't reviewed the podcast, please do. That helps us get more listeners. Take care. See you next time. You've been listening in with Your World, Your Money. You can find us at ywympodcast.com and stay updated on Instagram at Global Thinking Foundation USA. Be sure to rate and review us and you can reach us with questions or thoughts at hi at ywympodcast.com. Our thanks again to Hangar Studios and Global Thinking Foundation. Thanks, friends. Happy money making. See you next time.